Hello and welcome to the New Testament in a Year podcast. We're back. We took a few week hiatus. Somehow we have been busier in the era of coronavirus than we have been in the era of non-coronavirus, but we are here. We skip the end of the book of Acts, which is the story of Paul and the story of Paul being uh, on trial and traveling all over the known universe at that point where he ended up in Rome and it just ends at the end of Acts. And we picked up the book of Romans. And so we're actually seven chapters in, which seven chapters into the book of Romans is uh, like skipping 5,000 years of the world's history. And so we have a lot to try to catch up to. And uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to get where we can. And so here's what I got for you today is Jay Smith here, your host. I'm just going to do the intro and let these guys talk. We have Jimmy Doyle, resident scholar, theologian, and friend. And then our N.T. Wright, Romans scholar, friend, Jonathan Klein-Smith is joining us today. Now, listen, all these accolades are just how I feel about you all. And it's it's not really the things that you've earned other than our relationship. So Jay does not know the definition of scholar, which makes it really easy for him to apply it to anybody that he would wish. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to say this. I'm going to throw it out there. Jimmy, you've got a master's degree. Technically that makes you a scholar. As long as you study something after that. Does that make me a scholar? I don't have to have a PhD to have be a scholar. Anybody can be a scholar as long as you're like learning things and then teaching other people about it. That's only said wow. by people who don't have PhDs. Exactly. That's like people who aren't doctors thinking, like medical doctors, thinking that they're basically like medical doctors, but all medical doctors are like, no, you don't know nearly Jimmy, have you me. not read the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Any, anybody has good medical advice. Yeah. So I, I, completely, I completely trust you on theology. Who cares if, if you're so not is. so-called Jay's gonna, expert? Jay's bringing us here back. Is, here's the Merriam-Webster definition for scholar. <laughs> That is a person who attends a school or studies under a teacher. Is a I've pupil. done that. Wait, or a pupil. But a person who has done advanced study in a special field, a learned person, or a holder of a scholarship. I'm in all of those things. I'm a scholar. You oh, are, my gosh. All and of so are you. you are all a three of us are scholars. Welcome. So are my welcome children. To, welcome to a scholar's hour oh God, conversation on the book of Romans. That is about as qualified as we're going to get because the book of Romans is hard and Paul is confusing. I was actually just reading, and I'm going to mess up the reference, but I think it was like Second Peter 3 maybe or 5. And Peter is literally saying, hey, I know that you got a letter from uh, my good friend Paul. And I know that he writes in really confusing ways. And so just recognize that, hey, I'm Peter and I don't even know what Paul's saying. Yeah. Uh, and so that really feels good for me because just honestly, like even this morning as I was reading chapter seven, I had to read it four different times to kind of get the gist of what Paul, I even broke out the message to try to help how to understand, which that's a really good tool to at least give more of the context of it. So that is the encouragement. Like before we get too far, I just want to encourage um, as you read Romans, Paul is wordy. And he is argumentative in this, like he's creating arguments and, and having like basically kind of a conversation with himself uh, rhetorically. And so one of the things you'll see that's really helpful is to read it multiple times uh, and then to also look at different translations. Travis Bruno is a good friend of ours, uh, turned me on to the NET, which is another translation you can find online. And the NET has a, 
a lot of kind of footnotes and a lot of additional pieces to help you kind of understand more of the language and different aspects of what you are dealing with. And I do encourage you to, there's a lot of really good commentaries and stuff online. I would suggest before you go to your life application notes or your study Bible notes is to try to come uh, to a conclusion or an idea of your own before you go to them, because everything that is written about a text has some sort of person's uh, hermeneutic that we've been using that language a lot in it. And so just try to get to your own conclusion before you uh, just rest on somebody else's. And so just read the text. Jimmy had mentioned earlier on is, is as well as if you can uh, to sit in one setting and read the entire book of Romans and read it out loud. And those are just kind of the things. Number one is that's going to help you be more connected to the cultural context that this would have originally been uh, received in. This wouldn't have been something where it was an email blast that everybody got. Like it would have given a letter that went to a church or a group of people and those people would have gathered together and read it. Oh, Paul wrote us this letter. Let's look at it. Let's, let's read it out loud and see what he has to say. And I can imagine that that uh, went over well with some people and maybe slowed down quite a bit for a lot of, a lot of people. So it's hard to read it, let alone just sit there and listen to it. But it was a different culture, different context. All right. So we're in the book of Romans, chapter one. Uh, we'll dig into a little bit, but I want to give Jonathan and Jimmy some space to just kind of start talking about uh, their journey in Romans over the course of their history. Any of the backstory of Rome uh, or the Romans, uh, the letter to the church in Rome, any of those pieces that you think are important for us. And so I'll start with you, Jimmy Doyle. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book of Romans and uh I don't know, like, what are some things that you, you put a great post in one of the Facebook groups that we communicate through about the important things about Romans. So why don't you just kind of do a brief overview of those things? Jay, you're putting me on the spot as if I remember well, something that I wrote several days ago. But I, okay. So maybe just tell me, what are some of the major keys that you're looking for when you read the book of Romans? Um, I think the important thing to recognize is, uh, I mean, there's several. One is that you're reading uh, Paul is engaging in, in rhetoric that would have been for educated people would have been a known form. Like they would know that he's engaging in rhetoric when they're hearing this letter. Uh, and Paul's addressing issues. We get kind of get one side of the story. Paul's ad addressing issues in that Roman uh, church's community, the, the things that they are wrestling with. And we kind of have to fill in the gaps like uh, a little bit on what those specific issues were. We know there's some kind of conflict between Jews and Gentiles who are followers of Jesus. And so that's an important thing to be aware of. And Paul is rhetorically, in the first half of Romans, he's going to continue to make reference to, especially to Abraham. Like he's trying to tie in the Jewish uh, identity and connection to Abraham. Uh, if you talk to uh, Jewish people today, if you ask them, was Abraham a Jew, they would say yes. Now that's a little anachronistic because a Jew comes from Judah who was born after Abraham, but they consider Abraham the first Jew. He's the first one that had circumcision and the, and the promises and the covenants were made with him and his, and his seed after him. Uh, but Paul leans in heavy to say Abraham is also the example of the faithful Gentile who God accepts and, and declared as righteous. And so, you know, in that rhetorical scheme, Paul brings everybody down to the same level. We see this from the very, he jumps right in and says, Everybody's got a problem with sin. Jews and Gentiles both have a problem with sin. Uh, but the good news is, is that we all have this common ground of this faith aspect that we can actually go back to in our, our shared father, Abraham. And then he's going to bring it down around to this faithfulness of Jesus that we get to enter into and so we can experience the grace of God. But all of that 
it's an argument that he's making. And I'm not talking about an argument like a, he's making a case and he's using these rhetorical characters as he's doing it. Uh, he's taking on the voice of um, what some commentators call interlocutors, right? He's taking on a role and he'll switch back and forth. And so uh, those are, I, I don't know if those are really hard to see when you're aware of them. Like when you're aware of it, it's like, oh, now I see Paul's playing these arguments uh, a little bit. So, so Jonathan, anything you would expand or add to that conversation as far as like when you read the book of Romans, when you look at some of the people that you trust that have, have helped you understand it and interpret it, uh, what do you find in the book of Romans? Like what are the things that really stand out to you? How do you, and maybe even one of the simplest ways to look at this, how do you, how do you break it down to like chewable pieces? And is it even really worth trying to do that? Let me expand on that to make it make sense. I think one of the things that we'll find is in the book of Romans, we will take like certain verses uh, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, you know, which is what Romans three twenty three is that correct? Uh, we take that, we put it on a bumper sticker, we, we get it tattooed on our body. We call it our life first and whatever, whatever it is, but recognizing like we miss so much of what Paul is doing in the midst of this, because we are as Western, we talked about this a lot in our podcast, like as Western Christians, one of the things that we do uh, which is not new to us, but it's like we we don't read the whole story, but we are looking for the easy pieces to pull from it. And Paul, if you do that, like you're missing a large part of it, but also at the same time, like Paul, it's it, it actually is easier just to pick out the one verse that you made sense of. And so talking about all of that, wrapping all of that up uh, in my meanderings, like what would you say are the things that you find are important when you read into Paul, when you read into Romans, like what are the things that you're grabbing for? How do you make sense of it? Yes. So uh, in my own personal Bible study lately, um, I've been trying to read the letters of Paul in chronological order, uh, which is, it's really, it's, uh, I, I have to, I mean, I'm, I, I love what you guys do. And so I'm not going to like discourage people from reading the Bible just straight through. Um, but it, it's really eye-opening when you're talking about like in terms of theology, right? Uh, and you see this sort of progression with Paul, not that Paul's theology really changed, but his articulation of it really does uh, improve. Um, and what's interesting about the book of Romans is that it's like one of the, uh, one of the last letters, probably the last letter that Paul writes. We're not, we're not, you know, we can't really know, but uh, probably he writes this uh, maybe as late as 60 or 61. Um a CE, which is, is uh, basically almost the last thing we hear from him um, or of him um, outside of the traditions of the church fathers and some oral reports that come later on. Uh, this, is, this is Paul's last word in the New Testament. Um, and what's interesting about the community in Rome, the Christian community there is not founded by Paul. He's never visited Rome uh, as far as we know. Um, you know, he, he is probably a Roman citizen. The book of Acts says that. Um, but, uh, you know, you didn't have to live in Rome to be a Roman citizen. So um, the community there of Christians is very likely a group of uh, diaspora Jews. That's Jews that are living in, you know, throughout the Mediterranean um, who have received the gospel from some other person besides Paul. Um, and uh, at this point, that's gotten to the point where um, it's the message is being shared with Gentiles by people besides Paul. We, we think of Paul as like the guy that shares the gospel with the Gentiles, but it's happening 
even outside of Paul. And so uh, this new Christian community has sprung up in Rome. It's probably not very big. Um, I mean, even if, even if it's a couple hundred people, which it probably wasn't, but even if it's that big, um, it would be swallowed up in Rome. Rome is the center of uh, the Mediterranean world at the time. It maybe is up to a, a you know, population of up to a million people, maybe. Um, and you think about a, a community of a few hundred people in this huge sprawling city uh, of a million people at the time, right? Like, and, which is unheard of in terms of ancient cities. Like uh, they're in the belly of the beast. They're in the heart of the empire. And so uh, I think what's really interesting about all of that is that so so Paul is writing to this community that he's never met. So uh, in a way, he, this is his introduction, and we get the fullness of his understanding of the gospel um, in the book of Romans because he wants to get all of the points across, right? And he doesn't really know what this, the situation is, so he addresses some of the stuff uh, some of the the artifacts that they're they're trying to deal with um, from contemporary Jewish religion of the day, and he tries to address uh, concerns that new Gentile believers would have, right? And so he really gives us a full image of what the gospel looks like, how it works itself out in daily life, what that means uh, for people that are trying to be uh, observant of Jewish law, and what it means for for Gentiles who have been born living outside of the covenant of Abraham. Um, and he really wraps it up nicely, but it takes a while to get there, right? So um, I think that's what I, I take away from it. I do worry, uh, you kind of mentioned Romans 3.23, right? That's, that's one of these verses that we put on what's called the Romans road. <laughs> if you've ever uh, been around um, evangelical Christianity, of which I, I consider myself a part, um, there, there's this tendency to break the book of Romans down into like four verses and say, this is how you're saved. But the message of Romans goes beyond salvation and it touches all over what it means to actually live as a follower of Christ. That's a, that's we'll just a, wrap up the podcast yeah. right there. God, Thank you good. all for joining us. Good. And, um, so let me ask this question, and Jimmy, you can jump in and anything you want to kind of expand on that Jonathan that Jonathan started or any other kind of points you'd like to bring up. But so you talked about how chronologically Romans doesn't it doesn't fit as far as the placement in the New Testament, right? It's the first epistle after the book of Acts, mainly because it's the longest. Um, Paul's letters are put in the New Testament in terms of their length, not in terms of when they were written. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> when you look at the theological um, spectrum of Paul's letters. And I'm not even talking content. I'm talking about like Romans has taken the priority for a majority of people in understanding Paul's theology. Um, Do you think that is fair? Is that healthy? Like, is it like, where does Romans, because a lot of people put Romans as maybe the most theologically important text that has ever been written, you know, like I think there are people that would, that would take Romans and even put it uh, above the gospels um, as, as an important text. Right. Uh, Now I, I, I don't believe that, but there are people that would put that up there and, uh, and that Paul wouldn't have done that either. Just a, just a reminder that's important, but because, and part of it's because it's, it's a summation of so much, right? Like that's Paul is trying to give kind of this, 
some of it is talking specifically early on, like there's some words that we're going to dig into, like what law and sin and righteousness and unrighteousness and faith. And, and he just jumps back and should we continue to sin the grace may increase or uh, spirituality and, and all of these different parts of what he's doing and, and having the conversation. But <clears throat> Paul does sum up a lot of the text uh, or a lot of our understanding of faith. And there's a lot of people in specific circles that would prioritize this. So, all of that to say, like, where do you place this in Paul's theology? Where do you place this as a theological point for uh, a Christian? And how important, uh, that's not even fair to say, like, how uh, how does it stand in kind of comparison theologically with Paul? I think it's fair to say that this is his most systematic approach. It's his most, again, his most rhetorical approach. Uh, and it holds together really well. I think there are parts of Romans where he kind of loses his track a little bit. And I think this book was written over several days, right? This is a, him dictating it, him coming up with it. It's a long letter. So um, <clears throat> I think when, um, I think what's different about Romans is this is not a community that he's writing to that he knows. All the other Pauline letters in the New Testament are communities that he knows very deeply. He's sacrificed for them. He's lived with them. He may have started their community from the from the get-go, but certainly a pivotal part of who they are. And yet this Roman community, he doesn't know. So he's sharing more with them ideas than he is entering into this uh, personal level of their conflicts and this personal level of their struggles and their shared history. So by default, it's going to be more systematic and more conceptual. And so I think uh, that's one thing. And I think uh, something that you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, uh, for the most part, scholars have thought that Paul, the, the question is, is, who is Paul writing to in terms of this Christian community? Is he writing to both Jews and Gentiles? Is he writing primarily to Jewish believers or are he writing primarily to Gentile believers? Uh, and that's kind of a debate in the scholarly world. And I, I think, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to say where I come down on that. I, I guess I would say for for somebody who's really studying Romans and not just reading it, what I like to do is read it from both perspectives. Like I try to hear, okay, if Paul was only writing to Gentiles, why would he be writing this, and and what is his case that he's making? And if he's only if he's writing to a mixed group, what is he trying to address? We do know this that there was a conflict among Jews uh, from the Roman perspective. There was a conflict among Jewish people in Rome in the 40s A.D. So so much so that Claudius, the uh, the Roman emperor. Um, kicked the Jews out of Rome for a period of time over a dispute of one whose name that the Romans called Crestus uh, in the Latin. And a lot of scholars think that that dispute was actually a, a, an argument that was going on about Christ, Christus, right? Um, and they got it wrong. They didn't realize that it was about a title um, and not a person's name. Uh, if that's the case, then Christianity was very early in Rome, and this tension between those two groups was there. And certainly when Paul is writing this letter, he's uh, that issue of that tension is going on. And if this is in the 60s, which it was, I believe that this is really one of Paul's last letters. you got to remember that within just a few years, you've got a, a rebellion against Rome taking place in Judea. And, there's a, there, and after that rebellion in Rome, the tension between just general Roman people and Jews ex- ramps up extremely. And so Paul's writing this letter in the midst of these theological, Christological tensions What's the status of a Gentile and a Jew in the kingdom of God and the people of God? Paul's addressing that. And then there's also this outside tension going on. Uh, and because he doesn't know these people, it's systematic. He's trying to address these from, from conceptual ideas. It's really interesting, the uh, 
you know, uh, it's kind of, you know, the, the way the readings broke up for you guys, uh, you know, stopping with chapter seven, but not going into to chapter eight is, uh, you know, that's just unfortunate. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, jump the gun at all, but, you know, imagine talking to a group of people who, uh, live according to Jewish law. Um, and you're, you're trying to, uh, to articulate this message of, of grace. Right. And, uh, and, and this is, this is not like a light thing uh, to cast aside. One metaphor that I like to use about the idea of, of uh, the way Jewish people would have viewed the law or a, a way of understanding it anyways, is, um, you know, imagine like uh, the covenant relationship, you know, the, the covenant is like a marriage uh, or like a, like a, a wedding ceremony, cutting the covenant. And then uh, the Torah is, is how you, is, is like the relationship itself, right? That's, that's a really poor example, but it's, it's one way of understanding it, right? So they, the, the uh, Jewish people are living uh, because they made a covenant with God and the way that they live according to that covenant is, is through the law, the, the Torah. Um, and now that, you know, Jesus has come along and established this new covenant, uh, that also means there's a new way to live in relationship to God. Um, and, uh, and Paul is trying to articulate this without, you know, he's very careful to not dismiss the law. He's very careful to not say, uh, you know, uh, that the law doesn't matter at all, but, but he's trying to establish that the new relationship that Jesus has established, this new covenant, the way we live according to that relationship is by grace. And that's not an, an you know, uh, one of the, the, uh, criticisms I have of, of people that, uh, that to pull the verses out of Romans is they make it all about salvation, living according to the law of grace, living according uh, to the, the new covenant that Jesus establishes is not just about being saved from the fires of hell. Like we make the book of Romans out to be, but it's also about living a, uh, a f- life that is fully turned towards Jesus in such a way uh, that we are not only saved, but we are sanctified. That means that we're molded into the image of Christ. And I think uh, when when Paul gets into this new Adam uh, kind of language, that's really what he's talking about, being formed into that image of Jesus. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges of modern Christianity anyway, is just this push from a salvation as a eternal thing versus a salvation for life today. And Paul emphasizes it so extensively in his writings um, about new creation and old creation. So I want to maybe hold off a little bit on that. And, and Jonathan, you have permission. If you jump into eight, there's a chance we won't do another podcast until like 17 or 16 or the next book or something like that. So, but, <laughs> but one of the things I, I do want to just spend some time, you just because I think there's language that if you aren't familiar with the fullness of the scripture in the sense that maybe you didn't spend much time in the Old Testament or you're not familiar, familiar with the, the Jewish aspects of our faith, which is probably not a, hun, a, a ton of people that are a part of this podcast or reading along. But um, when you use some of this language, like uh, Paul is, is comparing law. So, so for example, in chapter seven, there's a lot of conversation about how the law, he wouldn't have understood what coveting was until the law helped him understand it. So Paul's understanding of the law as a definer if you will, of what sin was, um, but also insufficient to provide salvation and for, for really freedom today. Like 
what is what is Paul like? How do we help that make sense to somebody that would be reading it today? Like how Paul's understanding of the law and its insufficiency, yet its value is kind of one of the big conversations that we're walking through right now. So how do you help that make sense to somebody that's reading that? Maybe Jimmy, you can jump in on that. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the thing is, is um, I don't think Paul had a negative thought about the law at all. I think, the, I think as a, I think if you'd asked Paul, he would have said the law is fantastic. It was given by God. Like the problem is sin. Like the book of Romans is different than any other part of the Bible because it presents sin as like this power. It's not just an, it's not just an action. It is something that is pervasive in reality. And so he says, you know, from Adam um, to Moses, um, you didn't really have this understanding of sin because the Torah wasn't there. The law wasn't there. But you certainly had the repercussions of sin because you had death. Death reigned um, even before the law. But the law makes us aware of sin, which is not a, like, I think sometimes we read this law grace thing. We have this post-Protestant view of that. And I don't think, I don't, I'm not, I don't think Paul would see that as being a conflict. Law does not, not teach you about grace. Law, the Torah teaches you about God's grace. But we, um, in that tension, we don't understand that knowing about sin is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Now, the problem is me, I'm sinful. And when I become aware of my sin, I've got real problems then. And I am an enemy with God. We're all, we all that that enmity. And, um, and I don't know how to talk about these things without getting into things that are so some 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 translation issues. <clears throat> so if you look at uh, Romans and it talks about God putting forth Jesus as a propitiation of our sin or an atoning sacrifice of our sin, if you looked at a bunch of different English translations, you would find different translations of that phrase. You're like, well, how? Why are there so many translations of that? And in our minds, kind of, if, we're, if you don't study theology, all of those things kind of sound like the same thing, but they're not really the same thing in terms of their meaning. Uh, well, that word that's translated there is hilsterion, and just this idea that um, God is bringing us to this place where he's offering Jesus as this hilsterion. And in the Old Testament, that word is the place of atonement, but it, it means the, the, the covering of the Ark of Atonement, of the Ark of the of uh, the covenant. Um, in the in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's used for the Maccabean martyrs that they offered themselves as this. I guess our word would be sacrifice. That their faithful obedience to God unto death was such an effect to God that God was going to let that atone for the sins of all the people. This this idea of, of atonement is not a of one person atoning for multiple people is not brand new in Jesus. It is unique in Jesus, for sure, and Paul would make it singular in Jesus. Uh, but what's interesting to me is like in Greek culture, how would Romans have heard that word? Well, the most famous uh, hilasterion outside of just offerings in temples, like meal offerings, not necessarily even sacrifices, like drink offerings. The most famous one in Greco-Roman uh, culture, Greek culture, is the Trojan horse, right? Which uh, has negative connotation in its ultimate thing, but what it was was, Hey, we're gonna. This is we're at war, and to show you that we're tired of being at war and we want peace, we're gonna offer you this gift of this giant, beautiful horse. Now, it was a betrayal. It was a false gift. But in that story, there's this idea that God is saying, "Hey, even though you're my enemy, even though we've had this conflict, 
I'm going to be the one that puts out the peace gift to make things right between us. And with this being offered not just to Jews, but to Gentiles who are all alike affected by this reality of sin in the, from the first Adam until now, now we have this brand new creation that has broken in in the second Adam. And just like sin reigned, death reigned from that sin till now, it's going to, this thing about life and salvation is going to spread to everybody through this second Adam, Jesus, that has come. And I think Paul really, I thought he was, I think Paul thought he was living, and I agree with him, <laughs> in a brand new creation that started on the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Humanity was being created new. Creation is being created new. Someday there's going to be a break-in where it happens rapid, more rapidly than it's happening now. But for those who believe in Jesus, that transformation is already taking place. And it's not a matter of waiting until you die. We are new. It's not we, you know, in, in, when we get to Corinthians, for anyone who is in Christ, behold a new creation. That's Paul's kind of statement of faith. And he's, he's going to take a long time to get there, but he gets there in Romans, you know. So we're seeing the first part of that argument. That's so good. <clears throat> so an important part of Paul's writing in chapter five uh, is a doctrine that that tradition has taken from this uh, that has, <clears throat> I mean, been a part of our tradition for a very long time. That's the doctrine of original sin. Um Sin came into this world through Adam, and in Christ, sin was removed or, or potential. We have the the ability to live into a world that is uh, not held captive to that. So when you look at that, uh, Jonathan, and you start unpacking kind of that doctrine, <laughs> it's like, I'm the wrong person to talk to about this. Uh, so when you Jonathan start looking knows at all that, about sin, this is where his yeah, expertise really yeah, comes exactly. in. So why don't yeah. you tell us uh, as part of this podcast, uh, all of the sin that you have in your life. <laughs> Jonathan, and, uh, here's what I want to know in Romans chapter one, when Paul's <laughs> going through that list of things that people deserve what death. What are you guilty of? I, I just kind of want to know, man, which ones, which ones? Uh, is there an all of the above box? <laughs> no, yeah, I want check, you to kind of confess. We're going to give you all the time you need. Just all the time you need. Can we so play we just as I am in the background too while he's doing this? Oh, <laughs> man. You know, uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, I get asked questions about original sin as part of uh, my ordination track. So right. uh, it's, oh, God, uh, this it's really get you in trouble. exciting. You can't ask him that question. You get to have Jim. this uh, on a recording. No, I, th- I think, <laughs> you know, I think it's good that he chose Adam as this example. And here's why, uh, because I think my interpretation of the Adam and Eve story, uh, you know, whether it was a literal thing that happened or whether the story is meant to be understood uh, as uh, a metaphor, the thing that's important is that in that story, Adam and Eve's story is actually our story too, right? Uh, that it, Adam and Eve uh, eat the apple Right. Well, we say apple. We, we was probably figs. That's my. That's, I'm going to say figs because they wore fig leaves afterwards. But uh, we don't know what the fruit was. Anyways, the story is. Uh, Hopefully, is concerned some large with, leafed plant. Yes, very a large leafed plant. Mm. Uh, so, but the, the, that's we're supposed to understand when we read the scripture, whether it was literal or not. And I'm going to leave space open for both interpretations. But um, we're supposed to understand that that is our story too. Right. So Adam's uh, choice and Eve's choice, uh, those are both our choices as well. And so um, I'm going to say that just like Adam and Eve uh, 
eventually chose poorly, right? And and sin became a part of their nature. Um, we also do the same thing. Now, whether you're asking, like, you know, we get into all sorts of minutia when we talk about this as modern believers. Like, we, we talk about things like age of accountability and our babies sinners and, uh, you know, uh, I have two beautiful children. I can tell you, yes, they are. But, uh, you know, it, formulating entire doctrines, uh, you know, like getting ultra specific in the nature of how sin is transmitted, I don't ultimately know that it's as valuable as understanding that eventually we all sin and that we need to do something about it, but we can't. And so God steps in. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that from the Romans perspective, from the book of Romans perspective, from this right. Um, again, sin as a power. Wouldn't you say that like, for me, original sin is like this. I can't buy a stinking pair of clothes without engaging in injustice in the world. Right. Right. Like sin is pervasive. It doesn't matter what I, no matter how good I try to be, maybe I'm following the law. I mean, maybe this is Paul. Paul says later about himself, as to the law, I was faultless, right? Like the issue isn't that kind of checking off the list. It's sin. Death hits everybody. You know, uh, God, Beirut yesterday, that huge explosion. Like and you think, well, what is that? That's not sin. Well, it's just this destruction thing that is in the world, this Right. struggle that we have where we're affected by everything, even accidents and nature and the whole thing. And um, I think Paul sees a restoration of that and, and we're in need of that restoration and it's coming, it has come and is continuing to arrive in Jesus. You know? Right. And, and so th- that's why I think that, that that's, this is important for your, your, your audience to hear is that there's a difference between sins uh, right, these individual actions, and then sin as a uh, a power that is active and at work in the world, and uh, I don't think you can look at the world and say that sin is not a reality exists. But I also don't think you could look uh, at that reality for too long without saying that uh, the that reality exists in part because of human individual decisions. Right. And it's 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 kind of like a, a, a causality loop, I guess you would say. Um, the the question is, is how we deal with it. And yeah, you know, like there's a reason we have products like slave free chocolate. Right. What's the implication on all the other chocolate we're eating? Right. 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 Uh, yeah. it, it, because sin touches every part of our lives. And right. um, so. Well, the conversation in the United States right now. Right. I mean, right. We're we have a history of enslaving human beings based upon color. Mm-hmm. It is, none of us really, I mean, that sin is still destroying us, right? Like it's, that's what, it's just, just that pervasive. So I, you know, I believe in original sin like that. Like you can't be born into this world without sin touching you. As innocent as you, Jesus died because of sin. He's the most innocent person ever. Sin does that. Yeah. Right. I think uh, while we're on that, you know, did that Romans 8, this is where that Romans 8 thing comes in, right? Um, I, I haven't looked at the Greek on this. I'm going to assume that when they're using the word law, they're saying nomos, uh, probably, which is, is a good Greek definition that, of a word that basically means law. Um, but um, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, they use the word Torah, and which we generally translate as law. 
but here's the thing is like it has other meanings as well right like uh, Torah can mean instruction um, it can mean teaching uh, you know like uh, it can mean um, direction right there's there's sort of like different ways uh, of understanding the word Torah you know Proverbs 31 which uh, has become a really popular verse to talk about you know, uh, when your grandma dies, you, you read that. We'd read that one at my grandma's funeral, right? It's talking about a, a godly woman. One of the things it says about this woman is that she offers her husband kind Torah, right? Kind instruction. And so uh, when we're talking about law in, in th- these passages, um, re- we're not just talking about living according to a set of rules, but we're also talking about living a life according to uh, a a path or a way that God has set forth. And then chapter eight, like we, we know Jesus breaks sin's power. Chapter six talks about that. And, and we know that, uh, that Jesus establishes this new covenant. But the, the thing where we fall, fall short uh, sometimes on these discussions is how are we supposed to live out this life now? And chapter eight starts talking about uh, living uh, this life in the spirit, right? We believe that the presence of God comes upon us and, and enables us to live a godly life and to bring the kingdom into the places uh, where we go and, and to usher in God's reality, God's reign um, in the here and the now, because we are living according to the spirit, uh, not according to this old law that, that, that uh, was inadequate for that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask this question, just as kind of a personal aside, like, do you think that it does us, is this, I'm a firm believer that sometimes with scripture, you need to take it, like when we're in the gospels, um, when you're doing a whole chapter at a time, it was like, this is too much. Like we need to slow down and let us dig apart this one piece does it feel almost the opposite when you come across some of uh, Paul's epistles, but especially this one when it's like to read one through seven without reading eight or beyond, do you set yourself up to get bogged down in misunderstanding or trying to find, you know what I'm saying? Cause if eight brings into context seven through one, cause one through four is really trying to explain like, listen, all of us are should be aware of God. One of the one of the most perplexing pieces of Paul's writing to me is that God has made Himself known through the invisible qualities, right? Like through the, through all that we see, God has made Himself known so that nobody literally has an excuse to not accept or know God, right? It's a great wordplay. God's invisible qualities are clearly seen. It's yeah, fantastic. So we'll just leave we'll leave that <clears throat> one for its own podcast. Uh, so, and, and he says how God gave them over or allowed them to have what they wanted. They wanted to pursue themselves and to be their own God and to do it. And so God let them have it. But in the midst of all of that, he begins to tell the story about righteousness and unrighteousness and how none are innocent and all have access to the Father through Christ, right? So that's kind of the, like, you can really build out, like, he gets really into the back and forth conversation argument, but that's, you can just say that's what Paul's saying. All of us are sinful, uh, Jew and Gentile alike, that the gospels also gives life and new life to Jew and Gentile alike, right? It's kind of, it's very, that's not even 30,000 foot view. That's like seeing the earth from the moon, right? So moving on though, is I think that's why when Jimmy mentioned that, I think it's one of those things that we, we miss when we do take bites out of it. 
is that we don't get to see the full, th- like Paul is orchestrating an argument yeah. and we're trying to figure out the argument by just hearing the first paragraph of it, if that kind of makes sense. And so do you, is that fair to kind of say? Yeah. Well, imagine you, you, you give a sermon, Jay, mm-hmm. right? Cause your sermons are really long and um, it's 16 <laughs> chapters and we spend I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, breaking down every two-minute segment of your talk before we ever hear the whole talk in one one piece. Uh, I think by the end of it, we might have lost touch with where we started. Um, and that's hard when you're reading. You know, so it's great. People are we're doing this year in the New Testament thing. And and Jay and I, we've talked about, we wished that it had gone in chronological order. You know, that we wish that we were doing First Thessalonians and, and Galatians early on and that we can see this, how Paul is building this revelatory. Jesus is teaching Paul as he's teaching these communities. That's uh, so good. But, you know, we live in a, it's crazy. We live in a busy time and we, we feel like we don't have time. <laughs> right. But if that... You know, I the weird part is I feel weird saying to people, sit down and read this book all in one setting. Because it just feels like, oh, when do I going to have time to do that? But if you do it and you have that overarching picture, you see these common themes, these common words, then when you do read it chapter by chapter, it, it doesn't feel quite so confusing, quite so overwhelming right. because the themes are there, I think. You can see where Paul's going. Right. And, and that's the difference with the, with the Gospels and the Book of Acts. You're, you're get, you get one narrative after another, and you, you have stopping points that are natural. right? So I wouldn't say sit down with the Book of Acts and read all 28 chapters in one sitting. Uh, it's, it's pretty difficult. Um, but yeah, like Paul's – and Romans is kind of the exception of the rule on the epistles. Um, it's long and it's hard to get through uh, in one sitting. But but I would say with all the other letters, uh, absolutely, yeah. If you can, yeah. do it that way. And and uh, you know, it's it's not easy, um, but it show is fun. Uh, <laughs> well, and you mentioned but, this earlier, you know. And the thing is, I don't want to discourage people. So in all of these things, you just don't want it to be discouraging, but you do want it to be helpful. Chapter and verse markings are put there for location, not isolation. And some of them, all the verses are incredibly random. Don't ever use verses. Like, really, we shouldn't do that for anything but locating something. Some of those verses, this is no joke, were, were put there so randomly. They just were marking through. Chapters are a little bit different because it was part of the lectionary readings in the early church. But chapter chapter breaks in the middle of an important argument with Paul. We saw that when you go from chapter 1 to chapter 2, it breaks right in the middle of his at the pinnacle point of his argument. And if you stop reading there, you don't see where he's going. So follow, don't just follow the reading plan if you're doing a reading plan, but follow what makes sense. Find a good stopping spot uh, when you're reading things. Which, uh, speaking of good stopping spots, I think uh, Jimmy has to leave right now. I do. Yeah, I so I go. think this is a good way to move us towards kind of an end because I, it's too much for us to get too specific into what does this passage say. But I think we've given... Uh, more tools to people that are reading along with us and people that are listening. Like, how do you engage with Paul and how do you engage with Paul specifically in the book of Romans? So I do want to give you just maybe a few minutes, give Jonathan and Jimmy some time, like, and and Jimmy, I think you kind of started a little bit of this conversation. So Jonathan, I'll start with you. Uh, What are things to be aware of? Like as we continue on chapter eight, chapter nine, we go all the way through 16. Like 
what are the two or three things that you would say, hey, if you're reading Romans or Paul, think about this or think about this or do this or don't do this? Uh, I think Jimmy had a really good word on um, the the danger of isolation when it comes to verses, right? Because, um, and I'll do that, right? Like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, I, I, I bought into the whole, this is my life verse, right? Uh, which, which was a really popular uh, Christian uh, thing to do uh, maybe in like the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, and, and I, I'm not going to diminish it. If you've got a life first, like go for it. Um, but when people have asked me that lately, I've, I've said uh, like Ezekiel 28, 20, don't read that verse by the way, in isolation. Uh, it's pretty gross, like disgusting uh, in fact. But uh, the, my point is that like, I, I make that point and I say that verse, even though it's disgusting, because I, 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 like, I like to point out that you can't read scripture in isolation, right? You have to have context. And, um, and when you do that, when you, when you understand the context of the, of the text, it does as when it really comes alive. Right. And so, uh, you know, Romans has sometimes been used in an, as an anti-Jewish document. It's not, um, it's sometimes been used, uh, as a, as a document that, diminishes the value of works in Christian life. It's, it's not. Um, and it's sometimes been used as, as a document that's there to prop up the, the state, right? There, we get into some really weird stuff later on in Romans and it's not that either. It's not, it's none of those things, but you can pick things out of Romans and, and say, this is what, uh, Romans says. And when you don't get the, the, uh, the context when you get the rest of of the of the scripture you kind of lose the overall meaning of what it was going for jimmy why don't you uh close us out here with just telling us a couple things to pay attention to as we continue on in the book of romans man i think i mean all the things that jonathan just said like um and I, I think there's so this is an assumption all three of us would have and it, some so it's easy sometimes to forget to say it. paul is absolutely centering everything on jesus Right, like he, I, he just believes this fulfillment has broken in, and everything is brand new in Jesus. So I think for Paul, if you can't bring it around to Jesus, it's not valid. It's just not valid. So um, find Jesus in this text for you, and hear what God is saying to you as Paul's talking about this Jesus who's come in to save the world from sin. But it's not just this escape thing. It's not like I got saved and now I'm going to go to heaven someday. It's this transformation of being made. We are no longer shunning the glory of God and choosing other glories, creaturely and man-made and selfish and fleshly glories. You're going to see this thing as we read different letters of Paul. I think that for Paul, the, there's a, the glory of God for Paul is a short code for Jesus. That Jesus really is the glory of God. And so we want to be transformed into his image. And and uh, that'll be seen more clear as we read all of Paul's letters. So That's great. Thank you all so much for joining us as part of our time together here as the New Testament in a Year podcast. Continue to read. Do not get discouraged. Paul is hard. Peter even thought so as well. Um, but also recognizing that that there's a story that's going on here and a, a united kind of front in, in the conversation that Paul's having. So keep reading, keep asking questions. I do encourage you that if you're reading with us and you haven't joined us online, uh, we have a Facebook group that would be really, really good to dig into like daily readings. And so throw some questions out there, throw some comments out there. 
And we will catch you next time, whenever that is, when we continue on in the Book of Romans. Thanks for joining us.